All right, today we're going to dedicate a podcast to insurance, which, homeowner's insurance. Which sounds terribly boring to me, and I, I hate to say that in your presence. <laughs> <laughs> nope, you are totally fine. But it is really a critical piece of this entire you know process of yeah. buying a home. And so a lot of questions about this, and, and this isn't our game, right? No, it's not our expertise. So today we brought in our insurance agent that we've been doing business with for many, many years, and... Um, helps us insure homes, rental properties, vehicles, umbrella policies, ATVs, ATVs, <laughs> other you toys. Guys have a lot. I swear we call you at least once a week for some need or another. Yeah, no, that's but, awesome. But they're great. So I'm going to introduce Shane Adams with GMI Insurance and let him tell us a little bit about himself, how he got in the business, tell us a little bit about your business. That would be helpful, I think, for our audience. Yeah, yeah you but, I mean, you know, maybe a minute or two. I know you can. <laughs> I know you can get to talking. You don't want me to ramble on too long. No. <laughs> no, that's great. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, so, <clears throat> well, like they said, my name's Shane Adams. Uh, I've been in the business since 2002. Uh, I initially got in totally unexpectedly. I had a brother who had already been in the industry for a little bit. And uh, we're, we're similar to you. We're business partners, and uh, yep. me and him shared a bedroom all growing up, and so yep. we figured we might as well share a business, you know, sure. for the rest of our lives too. <laughs> uh, but uh, I initially, oddly enough, was going in and applying back east to go to dental school, and he kept saying, "Oh, you don't want to be oh. a dentist. You don't want to do that." And I thought, "No, I really, I want to be a dentist. You know, this will this will be great." And really, the appeal for me with dentistry, I'd worked in a physical therapy uh, clinic for a couple of years, and I just liked having patients come in and out. And so it was just really the interaction with people is what I was after. Yeah. And so finally, after he had hassled me for a couple months, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll look into insurance. And I'll see if I like it. Yeah. And here I am 18 years later. I guess I liked yeah. it. <laughs> so it, it, it's worked out pretty well. Well, that's interesting. We have some parallels because I was going to school at BYU and Justin said, man, come help me with some real estate. I was going to do something with uh, uh, computers. I mean, I have an information systems degree. Yeah. And, Which he uh, likes to hold over my head. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, right. so I started doing real estate. I thought it would be somewhat temporary, but... You know, 19 years later, here yeah. I am. You know, we're still doing business together. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, it, the first things first. Uh, let's talk about a, just a homeowner buying a, a home. Uh, they always ask, hey, do I need to get insurance? And I say, yes, you need to get insurance yeah. because your lender requires it. Yep, right. Uh, and so that's a valuable piece. You know, I've had, I've had people... Uh, who own properties free and clear and not have any insurance. Yeah. Can you just imagine that? Oh, yeah. home, a $400,000 home and not have any insurance on it, which is crazy. Yep. Because nobody's forcing them to do it, right? Yep. But if you get a loan on a property, then you need to have insurance. And so, you know, we love to refer you because yeah. you take such good care of our clients and we feel totally comfortable doing oh, that. thank you. Um, and people can certainly shop around. Yep. It's just our endorsement here. Yep. And we found that your rates are amazing. But I just say, call Shane Adams' office and get a quote. But what does that look like on your side when somebody calls? You know, so typically when they call, uh, for instance, we just had a first-time home buyer that I worked with yesterday. Never purchased a home, uh, close to 30 years old, and didn't really know kind of what to expect. And so... Um, really, uh, the, the nice part is, in fact, I think you guys referred him over and, uh, he was great to work with. Uh, we like to go through the quote process and really help them to understand why they even need homeowners insurance. Cause a lot of people, they, 
they'll go to purchase a home on the first time, but like you said, they don't really know the why of why they need it. Mm-hmm. And there's a misconception sometimes that um, the insurance policy that uh, the, the the mortgage company might put on uh, for like their loan is the same as hazard insurance, and it's not. They're two different types of policies. And so the hazard insurance is the one that we take care of. Um, and it's super, super simple. Really, if someone calls with the address of the property, um, their name, birth date, and a phone number to contact them, we can get started on the homeowner's process to get it quoted out for them. But usually when I'm asking you guys to get me a bid on something, you're asking me about, um, you know, some basic questions about yep. the house. Uh, yep. Size, uh, maybe the material, the construction, the year yes. built. Yep. So what are some of the factors you guys are looking at? Yeah, so some of the factors that we like to look at, so year built is a big one. Homes that, just for uh, reference, homes that are older than 1955 yeah. can sometimes have problems getting insurance placed yes. on them. 1941, the home that we've been remodeling and talking about on the yes. po- podcast, that costs a lot of money to insure. Yep, yeah. and, and so the reason why they look at it in 1955 as a trigger year is a lot of changes were made with what materials could be used on a home. Yeah. Galvanized pipe and plumbing was one of them, right. uh, where they switched over to copper and then PVC pipes. Um, they also look at asbestos that was used in the mm-hmm. walls. Uh, that can be a big problem as well. And so the year built is, is obviously a big one. But then, uh, like what Jared was saying, we'll look and say, okay, is the outside brick, stucco, siding, Homes that are typically 50% or more uh, on the exterior brick will get a little bit of a discount. Um, the other piece that we're going to ask for is, you know, like I said, name, birthday. If you have a social, that can that can help as well because the social security number is what we pull the insurance score off of. We don't always have to have a social to do it. So clients that aren't really comfortable with getting that out is totally fine. Mm-hmm. But anytime we enter a social in, it stars everything except for either the last three or four numbers just for privacy purposes to okay. keep that secure. Uh, but insurance score is another factor that they look at. The other piece that people want to look at when they're shopping for a home, because we just dealt with this one again yesterday, is does the home have a wood-burning stove? And that yep. sounds like a silly question to ask, uh, but we found that on statistics, if they're not well-maintained man- and you have an issue where it can catch the wall on fire, the, fl- on the carpet underneath on fire if it hasn't yep. been installed right, we want to make sure that we can look at those parameters mm-hmm. as well. Okay. So if, if a buyer were to call you, they should have... You know, maybe their property profile from the MLS, yep. just handy. Yes. It's got the square footage, age, all that stuff. Yep. And um, here's a question for you. Does anybody actually drive by the property? Like, you're quoting these out, and you're saying we're yep. committing to insure you here, but you... Because there's no interior inspection. Right. So you're sort right. of relying on what the customer might tell you. Absolutely. But I think you guys... Don't you do exterior inspections at some we point do. in time? We do. So a lot of times we'll see the appraisal come through, and we can use a lot of the photos off the appraisal most times if it has a loan to be able to say, yep, let's look at what the interior looks like. Let's Because then sometimes people um, maybe forget about a few of the features because we also, when we go to issue the policy, we have to do what's called the replacement cost guide um, on it, and we use ExactWare to do that. Um, it's really good technology for us to be able to plug in all the square footage, how many yeah. bedrooms, bathrooms, what type of flooring they have, even, you know, do they have custom cabinets? And then that's how we come up with our replacement cost guide. But you are correct. A lot of homes, if it's five years old or older, 
we're going to go out and we're going to inspect the outside of the property. And the reason why we do that is um, we want to show the insurance company as well. This is the property that you guys are actually on the hook for if, yeah. if anything happens. And so it makes it nice for us to be able to go and say, yep, everything looks good. Because right now the big um, ticket item in the industry is roofs. Yeah. And there's been so much roof fraud as far as with a lot of contractors coming out trying to, you know, get a homeowner to get a brand new roof if two shingles get blown right. off. We, we can go to the insurance company, and if the insurance company says, hey, we're not sure about this roof, I can go by uh, and snap a couple pictures and say, nope, roof's actually in exceptional shape. And then it makes it easier for the homeowner because then they don't have to submit any photos. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you, you know, you're gathering this information. Uh, you get off the phone with the, uh, with the potential client. You guys are, you know, factoring what it's going to cost to insure this. You get back them with a quote. If the uh, client says, yeah, I'm good with that, then... You guys contact the mortgage company and provide that paperwork. You bet. Is that okay? Yep. So they should they should be giving you their the name and number of their loan officer. Yes, exactly. That's a great point because as soon as we get to that point and and they say, "Yep, I give you the thumbs up. Let's move forward." Then we like to take and do all the footwork for them. So we'll contact the mortgage agent and say, "Hey, can you send over the evidence of insurance?" Is what okay. it's called. And what it does is it gives us the mortgage clause where it'll give us the name and address of who we're going to be billing for that yeah. homeowner's insurance. Okay. Uh, because then it makes it nice so that when they show up to the closing, uh, the mortgage agent will say, "Yep, is this, does this look right on the insurance of how you worked it out with GMI?" They'll say, yep, looks awesome. And then all they have to do is sign off. So it's a really simple process okay. when we're going that Good. route. My experience is that you guys are getting me quotes back with, within usually the same business day. Yeah, so, that's our goal is we usually okay. want to have everything quoted and done on that first business day. If someone reaches out at the very end of the day, it might get pushed till to the next uh, following morning. But okay. usually we always want it but, same day. But pretty quick. And, yeah. and that's not to say delay on getting your homeowner's insurance <laughs> uh, right. you know, worked out. But uh, but it can be done fairly quickly. Okay, so I'd like to just transition into a little bit about what homeowners insurance covers. Now that's a pretty broad <clears throat> statement, but just give me some ideas well, of things that that yeah, it covers. I mean, people are kind of leery about insurance in general. It's like sure. a warranty. Like, man, you guys just seem fishy. Like you're trying to dodge a claim here and all this stuff. And our home right. warranty companies sometimes yeah. do that to our clients. That makes us really mad. Yep. And I guess people just need to understand. Really, what's included in a home warranty? Really, what's included in, in insurance? These kind absolutely. of things. So, the more education you can get, the better. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that we like to do with our clients is um, even when we're setting up the initial policy, we like to be able to have them either where I can send them an email so that they can go line item by line item as far as the coverages with what we're quoting out or have them come into the office so that I can go through their coverages. There's really six main coverages on a homeowner's policy that people see on their declaration page. Their coverage A is gonna be the structural coverage, which is, it'll say A, dwelling coverage. And that's gonna be, you know, if the home is a $450,000 home, for instance, uh, we can say, okay, yep, that might be your purchase price, but then we do our replacement cost guide to say, you know, what is it gonna cost us to rebuild the structure from the ground up if the house burns down? And so we plug it in, and it's not going to always be the purchase price, um, but uh, it'll come in at exactly what we have to insure it for to rebuild it. Because what people forget yeah. about is when they buy the house, 
they're also buying the land that the right. house is sitting on. And the, if the house burns to the ground, your land's not losing any value. Right. So when we do it, coverage A is the dwelling. Coverage B is your other structures. This is a coverage that most people don't really think oh, about. Yeah. Coverage B is going to be anything that's uh, not attached to the home. So this would be like a fence, a shed, maybe mm. a detached garage. Okay. Uh, for people, we just ran into one yesterday that uh, they have a really big custom garage built on the back of their lot. And so we can increase that coverage, but typically it's just going to be 10% of whatever your coverage A is. Okay. Um, and then your coverage C is your personal property. Um, yes. Depending upon what company you go with or what tier of coverage you selected, this is just going to be 50 to 70% of whatever your coverage A is. So just for numbers sake, if you have uh, $500,000 uh, structural coverage and you have 50%, you're having $250,000 in personal property coverage. Two big key indicators though on both coverage A and C, which is your personal property and then the building coverage, is you wanna make sure you have guaranteed replacement cost. Um, you'll have some agents that will give you actual cash value, but it's a disservice and they'll do it because yeah. they're trying to be competitive with their pricing and they're trying to get the policy sold. Um, I've only sold one policy at actual cash value in 18 years. And the reason was is because the client wanted it and he did not want guaranteed replacement. Hmm. Ironically enough, this was back in 2003. Um, he selected to only go actual cash value. And then, unfortunately, about five months later, his house caught on fire. Oh, no. And it was a big mess. And we advised him. Luckily, we had documentation saying, hey, you should have... We, tried to push it towards guaranteed replacement. But the difference is, is the actual cash value, you're only capped at whatever that limit is. So if you have a $500,000 limit, you have that. If the if the building cost for the rebuild goes above that, you just have to pay the difference. Versus on guaranteed replacement, you have 125%, meaning on a $500,000 value, you'd actually have up to $625,000 mm -hmm. in coverage just so that we can guarantee everything's done. Yeah, cool. But same thing on the personal property. Um, the guaranteed replacement is so valuable because... If you have a, a, a pipe break in your home and it floods your, your living room, now you have a couch that probably has the legs right. are destroyed. You have end tables that are destroyed. An actual cash value policy, they'll say, look at it and say, okay, if it's five years old, right. you're going to get, yeah, get $200 for your couch now because it's a five-year-old couch versus on a guaranteed replacement. If you paid $2,500 for that set of couches, you're going to get $2,500 to go buy a new set of couches. So those are two key coverages to make sure that you're asking uh, when you're quoting out your homeowner's insurance. Um, real quickly, the next coverage is your coverage D is your additional living expense. Oh, okay. That coverage is another one that's extremely crucial to make that sure is. you have because if your house burns down or if they're doing repairs on the home and you can't live in the home, what do you do? And this is the coverage that comes in and fills that gap for yeah. you. It pays, uh, it's 20% of whatever your coverage uh, A would be on your structure. So if, once again, just for numbers, $500,000 home, you're going to have $100,000 in coverage for additional living expenses, which is extremely overkill. Yeah. Uh, but you're not being charged, you know, anything additional. It's just an automatic preset. Um, but then that would pay for you to go rent a home that's going to be of similar size and value to what you already right. had to fit your family. Correct. Um, and then coverage E is going to be your personal liability coverage. This one is an mm, extremely yeah. important coverage. Um, most homeowners policies, you have a base of $100,000, but you can increase this to three hundred dollars or even $500,000. And the difference in cost is typically only a couple bucks a month difference. 
to triple your coverage or even you know go five times the coverage. So this is one that we, we really stress to our clients, especially clients that have assets or have multiple properties that they're trying to protect. Yeah. Because in the event of a lawsuit, you don't want to have anything go above that limit if they find you liable uh, for something that happened on your property. Um, and then coverage, uh, your last coverage is your, your per, um, personal medical coverage. Uh, and that's going to be if someone comes on your property, you did absolutely nothing wrong, but they still get hurt. Um, then they would have you know a thousand to maybe five thousand dollars in coverage on oh, that. Okay. So those are your main six coverages. Kind of boring to listen to well, and to actually, talk about, but they're extremely important. Yeah, I just learned a lot just by yeah. listening to you talk there. Hey, how is it? How important is it for people to go in and just document the inside of their homes? I mean. What if you have gold-plated toilets or something yeah. like that? I mean, honestly, <laughs> exactly. maybe not gold-plated toilets, but if right, you have some crazy rare. granite or some amazing uh, cabinets or, 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 yep. or just just the way you built the home is just so over the top. Yep. And I don't know if you're taking into yep. consideration that. And then, yeah, in, in terms of going through your home and saying, this is what I own you know, with a video, is this helpful at all to an insurance adjuster or yes. is it just things we hear? Yes, yes, yes. 100%. That is a fantastic point because that's something that a lot of people forget about is when you're going through the claims process, it makes it so simple if you can go through and say, look, you know, here's my custom piano. Here is, you know, some of the, the nice features that I had on the finishing. Because like you said earlier, sometimes we don't have photos of the interior. And what if somebody remodeled their home in the meantime? Mm. Uh, and we'll maybe discuss that a little bit later. But we want to make sure that we can document everything that they have in the home. And really the biggest thing, and it's surprising, is it's not necessarily as much for the insurance company as it is for the individual. And what I mean by that is a lot of times when you go through a homeowner's claim, like we had a home down in Mapleton that burnt to the ground last year. Mm. And when you're going through, they'll give you a schedule sheet that you're going to list out all of your contents. And on this schedule sheet, the big ticket items are always the easiest for people to remember. And they'll say, yep, I had this couch. I had, you know, maybe this end table. I had a big flat screen on the wall and a DVD player. And then it seems like after that, people's minds go blank. Because those are your big ticket items that people get in. What they're forgetting about is maybe did you have um, you know a bunch of picture frames up on your wall? Did you have several different little knickknacks that you had on those coffee tables? Yeah. Did you, there's so many other items that in the event of a fire you could be losing out on. Even your firearms to say, hey, I'm going to document how many firearms I have, and even the model numbers. You know, on my home I have several several firearms. And what I did is on my smartphone, I just, you know, I have it stored in the cloud, but I went through and I have all of my firearms laid out and I have serial numbers mm. on each one of my guns so that I can track which gun I have. It's really, really simple to look up in the event oh. of a loss. So, yeah, it, I think that's extremely an interesting helpful. inventory to take. And I've thought about doing that over the years and I just haven't. But, you know, even my wardrobe, and I don't have fancy clothes, but I've probably got a couple thousand that's, dollars worth of yes. suits and shoes and yes. wardrobe and... You it, new cowboy boots. You yeah. cowboy. <laughs> Which cowboy boots are extremely important. <laughs> but but you look at that, and that's another one of those um, pieces that a lot of people forget about is their wardrobe because there is a lot of cost. If you have to yeah. replace all of your shoes, all of your pants, all of your shirts, yeah. it is costly. So, yeah, that, that's very helpful. Okay. Let's talk about some of the risk factors that you might see on a property. I mean, dogs, trampolines, uh, pools, play equipment, that kind of thing. That does factor into the cost. Absolutely. Absolutely. So <clears throat> one of the things that we do is we, we have a list of dogs that, that we go over with our clients that if they have them, we can still do insurance um, on these animals, but it may prohibit 
um, who will accept them yeah. as a client. Mm. And the reason being is the statistics so are really big. You're discriminating against some, <laughs> some <laughs> breeds of dogs. Yeah, the, the insurance companies may discriminate against your dog if you have one. But a lot of them are ones that, like the Akita, the American Mastiff, um, the you know Staffordshire Bull Terrier, which is a pit bull, but that's the legal name. Mm-hmm. And the reason why the companies have put that name on there is because a lot of people would be like, oh, I don't have a pit bull. I have a Staffordshire, you know, Terrier. And so they, they list that out, but Wolf Hybrids, uh, Presa Canario, so Rottweilers, those types of dogs can make it a little bit more difficult. However, if you have a good claims history, there, there are ways for us to be able to work with the insurance company to, to, to maybe try to help get an exception made. But those are dogs that if you have those dogs, that's going to prohibit some, gotcha. some possible coverage. Now, now, let me ask you this question. If you go out and get a dog... Uh-huh. Should you call your insurance agent? And if you didn't call him and he, that dog bites somebody, are you going to yep. cover that? Yep. So it can definitely cause problems for sure. So we had uh, an incident where our client had a Doberman pincher, and uh, we did not know that the client had assumed it because it was after we had issued the right, policy. Right. Um, and it, did, it, it didn't bite a person, but another dog uh, unfortunately came into their yard and the two dogs got in a fight, and the Doberman won. <laughs> and, and so because of that, it was really sad uh, because the state mandated that, the, that our insured put their dog down because of the damage it did to the other dog. And then we paid out on the liability portion of it. And then the on the back end, the company can say, hey, because you didn't notify us, now we're no longer going to yeah. provide coverage for you. Mm. And so there are some things that way that you have to be really careful of because it may provide coverage. But it's so much easier if up front we know because then we can say, hey, insurance company, yeah. here's here's the situation. And then they, typically they're going to be a lot more forgiving in that yeah. type of a situation. Yeah. You know, hot tubs, like I said, pools, trampolines. Yes. So. Yep. Again, if we're getting those things, we ought to be calling you Absolutely. and adding those to the policy or at least letting you know that we have those. Absolutely. Because on the pools, the biggest thing to look at with the pools is you want to make sure that you have an automatic pool cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pools are a big liability risk with kids falling in and drowning. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we can keep those kids safe. And so if we have those documented, we can definitely give coverage there. Trampolines is a huge one, especially in Utah County. Yeah. A lot of it insurance companies nationally don't understand the whole thing with trampolines in Utah because it seems like we're the most densely populated area with having trampolines. And, <laughs> and so uh, it, it is kind of a funny topic. But but if, with the trampolines, make sure that you have a net around it. If you can have it in, uh, in uh, the backyard where it's behind a six-foot fence, that's also helpful. The reason being is because it's called an attractive nuisance. So We've had several claims where kids that don't even know the homeowner will go in their backyard, yeah. walking home from school, jump on the trampoline, they fall off and break a collarbone, and then now they're suing our client. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they weren't even invited on the property. Trespassing. Yep, and so it, it can be a little precarious. Well, it sounds like people ought to keep in touch with their insurance agent. Absolutely. Can I ask one question that we get quite a bit? Yes. And I'd love to get your take on this, and I know this is maybe a little off topic. A lot of clients ask, I'd like to finish my basement. I'm not sure if I want to pull a permit or not. Right. <laughs> our answer is always you need to pull a permit. Right. But let's say somebody finishes the basement and they didn't pull a permit. Or let's say they buy a home that the basement was finished and sure, sure enough, there wasn't a permit ever pulled. What is an insurance guy going to say to them if, they, if you find out yep. that the uh, basement wasn't permitted? So if it's not permitted, uh, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think it's always better to get a permit just to be able to make it official and it's nice and clean. 
However, if they don't, we don't have anything that's in conjunction with the state requirement. We just want to make sure that if the house goes up in flames and they have finished that basement, that we make sure that we're covering it. So it's, it's something that we see all the time. That's why I think annual reviews are so important. And it's important for us to be able to meet with our clients and say, hey, what's changed? Because we have a lot of people that will remodel their kitchen. And they don't mm-hmm. think it's a big deal because they think, well, I'm not adding square footage. However, they're going from Formica countertops to granite or quartz countertops, you know, custom cabinets, yeah. which is going to add value. And it's also going to increase the cost for us to replace it in the event of a loss. But for basements, um, basements are a big one that uh, we always want to be in. You always want to contact your insurance agent on the basements just to make sure that you're getting that value. Because it, be, it would be such a sad travesty to have a home go up in flames and you have this big, brand new, beautiful basement that's just been finished and there's not enough coverage on it because mm-hmm. they weren't aware that it was actually finished. And so that's, that's an important one for sure. Well, I, so I think that leads into another question that, that I have and a lot of people have asked me about is, as our homes are appreciating, I mean, if you bought a home 10 years ago and you got a replacement value uh, 10 years ago, that home could be worth, you know, Hundred fifty thousand dollars more just now, in, just in material and labor. Yeah. So saying. how are yep. we? How are you? Keep, how is the insurance policy keeping pace with um, the appreciation or finishing off a basement or the value of personal items that they yeah. might be adding to the home? Yep. So we have what's called an inflation guard that's put on the home, and this is standard with the majority of, of homeowners policies. Not all have it, but the majority will have. It's an it's at a six percent rate. So every year that the policy renews the property for the coverage A, which then triggers all the other coverages minus the liability and medical to increase by 6% every single year. And so that's one way that the insurance companies will try to make sure that they're putting a buffer zone on there so that you don't have a property that appreciates faster than what the the coverages do. But that annual review that you asked about, I mean, that could come up, that kind of discussion could come up then. Yes. And I, I would assume that it, I mean, you guys do a great job of checking in with us, but the homeowner probably ought to take the initiative to call their Absolutely. insurance agent on a yearly basis to have that yep. reach out to them. Absolutely. Okay. Um, just for the benefit of our audience, again, a lot of these are first-time home buyers. Um, how do they in, they pay that insurance? I mean, how is yeah. that, that premium comes due? How is that being paid? Yep. So if they have a mortgage on the property, then what we see uh, happen is that the majority of the time, that mortgage company is going to want to control being able to, to pay it through the escrow account. So the escrow account is going to pay for the hazard insurance, which goes through us, and then the property taxes. And so the majority of the time, it's always going to go through them. Under a very rare exception, we'll see that it's not going to be taken care of through the mortgage. Um, but that's typically how it's done. If the person owns it outright, there are several payment plans that we can offer them. So they can either pay it in full like what the mortgage company does at renewal, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to receive their renewal offer about 45 days before the policy actually renews so that they have time to prep for that. Uh, or they can do it monthly out of a checking. But there's there's lots of options. But, yeah, if you have a mortgage, it's typically always going to be going okay. through the, the escrow. You know, on the settlement statement, when you go to close on your home, you're going to see the full year's policy on the settlement statement as a charge to you. So you're paying yes. that up front. And that's part of those closing costs we talk to our clients about They're all the time. prepaids. Yep. The prepaids. And so then uh, every month after that, as part of your mortgage payments, you're going to be paying one-twelfth of that of that homeowner's policy and one-twelfth of your property taxes. Then your mortgage company is going to pay that premium every yep. year. So I just wanted yep. to make that clear for some of those that may be wondering. Um, 
exclusions. I mean, Justin mentioned about how home warranty companies and insurance companies and other warranties, they they try to finagle ways to not cover something. Right. Are there some really common exclusions that people may have in their head that it's included that really are not yeah. in a normal policy? There are. And I, and I think uh, even that topic of home warranty versus hazard insurance, I think uh-huh. it gets gray a little bit for, for a lot of homeowners. And understandably why, because a lot of times they're looking at some of the coverages thinking it's more of a home warranty on their insurance policy with us versus homeowner's insurance. So a common call that we get every single year is, hey, my furnace just went out. How do I get that replaced? And so I'll tell them, yep, you know, here's a contact of a contractor that can come out and replace it. But really what they're asking is, do I have coverage for it? Right. And there's not because that would be covered more under a home warranty yeah. and not homeowner's insurance. And so that's one between that and the water heater, we get it all the really? time yeah. where, where they misunderstand that that's not an insurance claim. The other piece that we see a lot is business coverage out of a home. And that's something that is not covered. Okay. And so business, a lot of times will have a situation. This is why annual reviews are so important because especially during this whole time with the COVID-19, you have a lot of people that are working from home right now which is great. Most of the time, it's not a problem at all. However, if you are having clients come in and out of your home, mm-hmm. and that's where the foot traffic has been redirected, even though we shouldn't be having foot traffic in our homes no. right now, that can be an exclusion because it's not set up to act as a business. It's a home policy. Yeah. But the other piece is with their, their business personal property. A great example is you could have somebody that has a projector for their office yeah. and they have all of these different electronic items that maybe are five to $6,000 in value that is business personal property. Yeah. A homeowner's policy isn't set up to cover all of that. Yeah. They'll give you maybe up to $2,500 and that's something that you'd want to talk to your agent, ask what their limit is. But on most of our policies, they'll get about $2,500 for business equipment that's electronics. Well, here's another case that I think a lot of people may not uh, realize. Let's say you're running a, a small business out of your garage and you've got $10,000 worth of inventory in your garage yep. and maybe you have some equipment or something. That, yep. that should be covered under a business owner's policy, Yes. not under your homeowner's insurance. Yes, exactly. Okay. And, and that and that's, a, that's another great example because we, we run into that one quite a bit where we had one last year where they had a lot of PVC pipes and... Uh, different fire extinguisher materials that they were storing in their garage, and it got all that got stolen. Somebody, I guess, mm-hmm. backed up a trailer and took it all, which is kind of a crazy scenario. But yeah, that would not be covered. Another another piece to look at too for kind of misunderstood coverages where there it may not have coverage is flood insurance. Uh, last year we in the year before we had really big rainstorms where people's basements were flooding because the rain wasn't sloughing off into the streets fast enough yeah. because of how hard it was raining. And so a lot of times people will say, you know, do I have coverage if my if my basement floods? And it's a great question because it depends on what the source is. Yeah. If you have an internal source of water that causes that flood, yes, you have coverage on that. If it's surface water or an external source, then you then you need to have specific flood insurance to cover that type of a loss. So those are ones that are another kind of misunderstood coverage. Now, is that flood insurance FEMA flood insurance or an add-on to your homeowner's policy? It could be either or. So uh, FEMA is a great one. There's really only a few companies in Utah that offer true flood insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, in FEMA and uh, Johnson & Johnson, uh, there's, a, there's a few different uh, groups that will do it. But the national ones, and something for homeowners to look at, they don't cover basements. 
Yeah. You may be able to purchase coverage for your furnace or your water softener, but it is not going to cover your drywall, your carpet, everything mm-hmm. else. The only company that I know of right now in the market that will actually offer that coverage is auto owners, and they do it through an inland flood uh, endorsement that you can add onto your policy. And you can get up to $100,000 in coverage for that, uh, but that's going to be specific to them. They're really the only ones that I know of that will give basement coverage. Okay, so this is an issue that I've had to deal with in the past as a property manager. We've had a couple of situations. One, we've had water coming from other lots up the hill yep. that come down and pool into this property that we've been managing. Yep. And every once in a while, water there's just so much water comes down into that lot yep. and then goes into the basement. Yep. That's not a coverable... Okay. And you, unless you purchase flood insurance, right. there, there's no way to do it because it's still going to be deemed as surface yeah. water. And um, what about a sprinkler system? Because yeah. this has been an issue we've dealt with a lot too. Yes. Right now, there's only one company that I know of uh, that will give sprinkler coverage to the homeowner. So say if you have a sprinkler pipe that breaks and then yep. now that floods. Yep. Um, so Bear River will give you coverage because they consider, because it's on your main water lines that go into your home, they consider that still an internal water source. Mm. So they will provide coverage for that type of a loss, but the majority of companies do not give coverage. Because that's a really common scenario. What about your water line coming in? How about your sewer line backing up? Yes, that's a great question. So that is going to be covered under sewer backup coverage, which if you look at your homeowner's policy right underneath where you have all those six coverages that I talked about, they'll have a line that has a bunch of different endorsements. You always want to check to make sure that you have sewer backup because it's not automatically included in all policies. It's something that the agent needs to select. So as you're talking about that, that's a big one because you can get five, ten, or even higher uh, as far as thousands of dollars of coverage on that. But if you don't have that and your sewer backs up, there, there wow. is no uh, coverage. We'll call your office after the show. <laughs> I can tell you, you guys have that coverage. Oh, so you, you. Got, you guys are Appreciate in good that. hands that way. Good, good. Um, let me ask uh, this question. Um, if the property has had a history, maybe with previous owners, of insurance claims, mm-hmm. is it possible that you that an insurance carrier would say, no, we're not going to uh, insure that or it would cost more? So can yep. you speak to that, that the history of the property? Is it true that these insurance companies there's like a data share base. information? Yes. Yep. So it goes through Choice Point or LexisNexis is the group that collects all of the information. And so we call it a clue report. And that clue report, if if you like for instance, all the properties that you guys insure, when we pull up the property, it'll give us and say, Hey, you know, here's all the claims that we can see for the past five plus years on this property. And so they're looking at it saying, okay, when did you take ownership of the property? Some companies, if you didn't own it under that pretense or during that time, they're going to look at it and say, you know what? Okay, new owners will wipe the slate clean. However, a lot of companies, though, are shifting. If it's a water claim, they're going to look at it and say, okay, they've had four water claims in the past three years. Mm-hmm. This, there's something wrong with the home because yeah. the fact that they're averaging more than one claim per year due to a water loss, something's not right on this home. So a lot of the preferred markets are going to say, you know what, we're going to hit the brakes. If you can go three years claims free and show that you've fixed those problems, then come back and talk to us and we'll look at getting you a better rate. But that can definitely be an indicator. Yeah, that's really interesting uh, on that. Um, you, you know, one thing that, and it might um, ask this question now, and that's about earthquake 
yeah. insurance. We had an earthquake here in, in the Salt Lake Valley uh, last week, uh, 5.7 uh, yep. on the Richter scale. And we felt that here in Utah County, there was some property damage sustained more closely to the epicenter of that earthquake. But that begs the, you know, kind of brings up the question, I don't think very many people carry earthquake insurance, and that is definitely not something that's covered under a normal homeowner's policy, correct? Correct. Yep. That's another one of those that would be an additional coverage that would need to be purchased. And uh, I'm not sure what the current statistics are, but uh, several years ago, only 5% of the population in Utah has earthquake insurance on their home. Meaning that literally 95% of people don't have that coverage. And so we've probably sold more earthquake uh, coverage in the past maybe four years than I had in the previous 14 years combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big uh, pieces for that is that it's getting markets in that will make it more affordable. Yeah. But with, with that earthquake coverage, yeah, it's such a vital one, I feel like, to have living where we do in Utah. Um, because now, too, it used to be years ago, if you had a, a homeowner's premium that was $600, to add earthquake, you could almost bank and say, well, you're going to be about seven to $900 to add earthquake coverage. So yeah. most homeowners, that's when they would say, ah, maybe not now. Yeah. Because the cost was so much. And now we have a company uh, that we've brought on that does an exceptional job. And you can usually get it between three to $500 uh, to add that earthquake really? coverage. So it's so much more affordable mm. than it ever used to be. Yeah. That's a good point because in my mind, earthquake insurance, very expensive. Yep. But then earthquake insurance comes with huge you know deductibles i mean yeah you know let's say the earthquake caused twenty thousand dollars damage in your home yep you'd be fronting that twenty thousand bucks before the earthquake insurance yep. even comes into play yep but you now if somebody right. calls your office right now a week after an earthquake and they say i want earthquake insurance <laughs> is your company yep. going to give them so and, and this is another one so a lot of company there's been several companies in utah Allstate was one of them that pulled out of earthquake coverage completely they may have reinstated it, but with with uh, how the coverages go, every company is going to be different. Some companies have a 10% deductible. Some companies have a 20% deductible. Uh, with United Insurance Group, theirs is only 5% mm. deductible. So it's a lot better. So if, once again, for number's sake, if you have a $500,000 home, your deductible, like you are saying, is going to be $25,000, so it doesn't yeah. come. Then the problem is, is for people who don't have earthquake insurance, like what you're saying, and now they want to buy it, the majority of the companies are going to put a 30-day moratorium where they won't let us issue an insurance policy, period, until it's been 30 days from the last aftershock. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to note. Right now, uh, with, with our main company that we go through for the earthquake coverage, they've already lifted their moratorium. So we've issued a ton of earthquake really? coverage this Interesting. week. <laughs> and so we it was another one of those. I think we've we've probably issued... 25 or so policies already in the past two days for just earthquake coverage on our homeowners. That's cool. All right. Let me, uh, so a lot of our audience members are investors um, and uh, some of the homes that they have, or they may have, they might've lived in that and they had a regular homeowner's insurance policy. When they move out and turn that into a rental, they should be converting that to a different, a little bit different type of policy. Can yep. you tell us a little bit about a landlord policy? Yep, yep. So we call them a dwelling fire policy, and that's for the landlord coverage. And what the dwelling fire policy, it's a little bit of a different format. So there's two pieces to really keep in mind when you're doing a dwelling fire, because that homeowner could have had his coverage at $350,000 with guaranteed replacement cost on the dwelling when he owned it and lived there. 
as soon as he moves out, he can still put that coverage at 350000 But one thing he needs to be making sure of is that they're adding the, the guaranteed replacement cost endorsement to that structural coverage because that's not automatically included in a landlord policy. Okay. The difference is, though, is you also now are not re- you're not required to have a default of personal property coverage. Right. So that's something to look at as well. And we always tell our homeowners, hey, do an inventory because a lot of times they'll say, oh, I don't need any coverage because I moved all of my stuff out. However, some of the items that they forget that they didn't move out is typically a washer and dryer, a dishwasher, uh, a stove that can be moved in and out, not a countertop stove, um, and uh, a fridge. Things like that, that they, they want to make sure that they have coverage because you could put five to $10,000 in personal property sure. coverage, and it costs hardly anything on the policy to add that on. Uh, the other big difference is, is it shifts the coverage so that um, if they do get sued as a landlord, they have the right type of liability coverage okay. because now they have a tenant that's in there. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's probably the biggest piece. You know, Huge. for a lot of people that want to get into investing in real estate, the whole liability issue is probably one of the biggest impediments. People just yep. don't think they'll, they'll be able to there's a horror sleep at night. There. There's horror stories. There's always the horror <laughs> right. stories, right? But the reality is, if and this is why it's so important, you got to have the right policy. Because if you have the right policy, yep, do, do people feel protected? Now, Jared and I have gone a little bit above and beyond and, and yep. gone to an umbrella policy as well. But yep. how do both of those work? Let's say there is an accident. Yep, yep. So between the umbrella and the main policy? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. So when you have your main liability policy... Uh, that's a nice set of protection to be able to make sure if somebody comes on and gets hurt that you can have enough coverage to say, yep, you're okay. However, and this is where I think you guys have been really smart, you guys have several properties, and so that net is cast a lot wider. Uh, but you can look at it and say, okay, I have you know an umbrella policy that goes on top. So how it works in the event of a claim, if a client comes onto your property, or not a client, but anybody comes onto your, one of your properties, they get hurt and they say, oh, you know what? It was their fault because, you know, Jared left that hose out when he came over to water the flowers. Yeah. And now my grandma, you know, slipped and broke her back. Um, they now can have the ability to say, okay, we're coming after you. If they come after you, that that policy specifically for that landlord policy is going to be your first line of defense. Right. If the courts ruled that it needs to go higher than maybe $300,000 or $500,000, depending upon the limit, then now what's the next line of defense? If you don't have an umbrella policy, your bank account is the next line of defense. And you don't want to ever have that be affected or to have them liquidate another property from you. So if you put that umbrella policy in force, now you have another at least a million dollars and it can go up to five million or even higher if need be. But you have another million dollars to, to rule to be able to help protect your assets. And so I think the umbrella policies are extremely important. Okay. So I think the objection is... A valid objection, liability, liability, but insurance, yeah, umbrella. This property should be in an LLC or some other kind of a structure, and I've always slept just fine knowing yep. those three things. So I think you it's know. an objection that can easily be overcome with insurance. Absolutely. Of course, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to do something neg- negligent. I mean, if you're ignoring problems, trip right. hazards, yep. potential dangerous things, and you know, the insurance company's probably going to exclude coverage on right. on that yep. if you were ne- negligent. So I just yep. wanted to throw that in. Just real quickly on a landlord policy, it's it it seems like they're a little less expensive than my my regular homeowner's insurance policy. Probably a yep. lot of because of that personal uh, yep. property. 
yep. uh, element of it. Exactly. Yeah, because they're shifting coverage a little bit, and you're not getting you know maybe that two hundred plus thousand dollars in personal property coverage. Typically, and that's what is is always ironic is a lot of homeowners are afraid to almost shift it from a homeowner. That's policy why I'm mentioning it to yeah. a landlord policy. And ironically enough, it typically is going to save them money okay. and, and be a better Perfect. price. And you know, we require our tenants to have a contents policy as well. So for their own benefit. So that was another topic. I'm glad you you spoke on it because I wanted to touch on that. I think it's such a great idea that if you if you are a landlord and are having people in your property, to require them to get a renter's insurance policy because the renter's insurance it gives them peace of mind so that if anything happens they can get some personal property coverage. Right. But the biggest benefit for the landlord is like what Justin's saying, so that they can have that first level of protection so that that tenant's policy is the first section because if they're inviting a friend over that friend gets hurt now their renter's insurance policy is the first oh, line of defense that's interesting so that their renter's insurance is going to be the first line and then it's going to go to the landlord and then it would go to the umbrella and so it gives you several sections to be able to give yourself yeah. protection just so that it doesn't even come against your policy and so i think right. it's a great idea we had a small kitchen fire well i mean it affected the whole apartment but we had a kitchen fire and this lady just left the, the burner on and food on and it just smoked and everything this was years and years ago i did not have they, she did not have renter's insurance yep so i mean there's a lot of damage that a tenant could potentially do Right. And where that renter's insurance could help to, you know, right. take care of the problem. Yeah, whatever you can do to alleviate those. And that's why I think being able to go in with uh, those annual reviews on this type of a scenario is so important. Because so many times we've had people that are landlords that never thought to ask their tenant to get a, a renter's insurance policy. Yeah. And so I think that's a big And it's changer. really cheap. I mean, so cheap. I mean, is like, you're talking the renter's policy on most cases are going to be maybe 10 to $12 a month for the tenant. But... It's now going to discount their auto insurance, and so sometimes it offsets it to where it's almost no cost at all for them yeah. to get a renter's insurance off of the discounts. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, great. All right, so this is a question that comes up all the time is, you know, a lot of homeowner insurance um, policies, they have a uh, deductible that might only be, what, $1,000? Yeah. I mean, that's a fairly common deductible, yeah, right? Yeah, really common. I don't think I'm going to mess around with an insurance claim at a thousand dollars. I'm probably just going to pay that. Yep. But or at, even two thousand. Or even yep. two thousand. At what point do you think people really ought to turn it over to claim? And if they do a claim, are there some negative um, repercussions of that? Maybe increased premiums. Yep. Now you have it on this Lexus Nexus system. Yep. Talk about when people should actually make that claim. Yep. So typically when we have somebody that comes in and they're asking, uh, you know, hey, I've got X amount of damage, you know, should I make a claim on it? My general rule of thumb probably goes more in line with what you guys are saying. And if, if it's $1,500 to get everything fixed, I say 100% of the time, don't make that claim. Because if your deductible is $1,000, you're paying the first thousand in, your insurance company is going to pay 500 in. But now you've got a claim on your record that's going to affect your acceptability so that if we ever want to move you to a different company to find a better rate, yeah. now it prohibits that because all the preferred companies are going to say, uh, we got to wait till that claim has been three years. So for me, I look at it and say, okay, it has to be something that's going to be a financial setback where you look at it and say, okay, I, so going back to it, I tell my clients, if it's $2,000 or less, don't make a claim. 
And I never want to discourage someone from using that because if they have the coverage, by all means, they can use the coverage. However, it's learning how to be strategic with your approach in making these claims yeah. so that it doesn't have a financial, a negative financial impact on you because anything under 2000 is just never worth it. But when it gets above that, you can say, okay, here's, here's what the cost is going to be because we can do what's called a claims forecast where if someone calls in and says, yep, I want to make a claim, I can take their policy and say, okay, if we put a claim on their record, what's it going to do over the next three years? Mm. It's not to the penny, but it's pretty darn accurate where I can say, okay, off of this claim, it's going to increase your cost by $250 a year. So over the course of three years, you're going to be $750 in the negative. So is that $1,500 claim worth it? No, definitely not. You're in fact going to be in the negative now because of that, because the insurance company is going to surcharge it the same whether you make a $1,500 claim or a $200,000 claim. There's not a difference between the two. So the the company really is looking at frequency to say how often is this individual making a claim. And so that's a big indicator to look at. And you don't want to waste your claim on something that's so small so that you turn around the year later. Now you have have a a really substantial one because now the company is going to say, okay, in the past 12 months we've had two claims, and so maybe this isn't a good fit. You know – if somebody has a claim, do you find it annoying that they call you as an insurance agent when they should probably be calling the insurance company that you've brokered them into, or how does that work? Not at all. In fact, we love it when our clients call in because then it gives us the ability to be able to walk them through the steps as far as what needs to be taking place. Because a lot of people we find have gone 20 or 30 years yeah. and they've never made a claim. Never so they have no idea who to call or what to do, even as far as to get restoration companies to come out and look at it. So I love it personally when when our clients call in because then we can really be a bigger asset to help them to make it not such a big headache in that process. But then yeah, there you know we want to make sure that we can you know help them to get the right number of who to call to make the claim. And the reason why they call the insurance company is because they're going to take a recorded statement from the company. So the company is going to record the phone call so that they can have everything legally documented as to what happened in the claim. And then after that, at the end of the phone call, they're going to say, hey, here's your claim number. That claim number is what they're going to want to give to the um, uh, restoration company. And then that's how the restoration company sets up the billing between them and the insurance company. And it makes it such a simple process, but a lot of people just don't know really where to start. So we're more than happy to do it. Let me ask you a question here. And, and, and you know, we have a code of ethics as realtors, and, and I know that you guys have a lot of rules yep. and regulations. But whose side are you really on? Clients. Is that an interesting question? To so that's yep. what I'm getting at. I mean, are you on yep. the client side or are you on the insurance side? And can you? I mean, I can see the advantage of you coaching them through yep. a claim and saying this is how you need to present it and this is how it needs to be. Not that you're trying to bend truth, sure, or make sure. things up, but you're really for the client. Is that what you're uh, saying? We're 100 percent for the client, and the reason me is we we have to make sure because we're partnered with those insurance companies that we want to do what's right by all parties, and so we definitely don't want to do anything that is not ethical with the insurance company or the client but i always look at it and my brother cameron is the same way where we always picture ourselves in the client's shoes where if we're calling in and we have a problem and we've paid all these years to have this coverage i sure as heck hope that it's going to pay out really well in the in the event that i need it and so we want to make sure that that client is extremely happy with what they've been paying for for all these years because it is a big deal to them and it's a big deal to us because at the end of the day it's this ugly face that they're going to remember if mm-hmm. if things didn't go quite right. So we want to make sure that they're happy. Yeah, good. Let me just present a scenario here because this is, you know, these kinds of things sometimes happen on a weekend or a holiday or whatever. You've got, let's say in the, t- in the case of a flood, 
right? Yep. You got a broken pipe in your house, floods the basement or whatever. Sometimes it, I, I would guess there's maybe some time period for the insurance company to react, but you need to react sooner. Like you yep. might need to call somebody to come in and suck out the water, yep. fix the plumbing, stop yep. the leak. Can, can we do some of that work and expect to get reimbursed if we just need to do that and react quickly? Yep. So what happens is if you, for instance, have a restoration company come out and they're having to help shut the water off and they instantly are ripping carpet out because you have two inches of water in your basement. Yeah. And this happens a lot. And for we always laugh because for whatever reason, it always happens around Thanksgiving for our clients. Yeah. And I think part of it is you have temperature change and pipes are breaking yeah. uh, because of that cold that's coming in. And so in the event that that happens, if they call the restoration company to come out and the restoration company comes out, they're ripping carpet out and they're saying, hey, we need a $1,000 deposit. That money that they put in would automatically be instituted for any of the restoration work that would go, it would go towards their deductible in the event of that claim. So there's really nothing to be afraid of in that regard because you want to stop the bleeding as soon as possible. Yeah. So if you can get that water shut off and get that you know moldy wet carpet out of there, I think that's always the best approach to just be able to yeah. stop the damage. I think it would also be important that you as a homeowner just get your phone out, videotape what's going on, videotape the process yeah. and what you've done. Um, Call you know. someone that's licensed. I mean, that's an obvious, but yes. maybe not someone's first gut reaction yeah. because the licensed restoration companies, these guys are expensive. And I think a homeowner thinks, gosh, if I had to pay for this, I'm, I'm in a whole right. lot of trouble here. Right. But always call these licensed yes. restoration companies and and feel like, hey, Shane or your insurance broker has got your back. They're going to take Absolutely. care of it. Absolutely. Because we've had situations as well where uh, they called somebody that just that was maybe a neighbor that had a company to come over. And in the end, it didn't work out very well because the neighbor wasn't a restoration guy. So yeah. sucking water out and doing all that, he can do basic home repairs. But in, in that situation, we just kind of stopped midstream and said, okay, let's get a restoration company to come in and fix it. And the insurance company was able to settle with both to make sure that you know all parties were taken care of. But yeah, definitely get a licensed uh, restoration group to come out and look at it. And the other piece too is if you call on your paperwork, there's a 1-800 number uh, for you to call into an after-hours claims division of all these different insurance companies. Typically, those insurance companies, when you call in after hours, it could be at 11 o'clock at night, they could be able to direct you and say, hey, call this restoration company. Here's maybe a few suggestions of people that you could call. Um, if you if you want to use your own that you feel really uh, does a great job, that's great too. Uh, but they can typically help you at any time, whether it's eleven o'clock or okay. one o'clock in the morning. So you can you can choose your own um, contractor, yep. right? Because a lot of this damage is assessed and estimates are done through Exactware. Yep. And so that's how much the insurance company is going to pay out. Is that correct? Yeah, they're going to look at it, and they're going to have their own cost estimation. Sometimes the the numbers just don't match up, and it's it's not common, it's rare, but they may send out an adjuster from the insurance company to come out and assess it, and, and they're going to look at it and say, okay, you know, right now we're getting this bid. Our system shows that it should only cost that, but they may dig in a little bit deeper and, and do an override and say, you know what, we feel like the homeowner is correct, that it is going to cost more than what our system's showing. And so that's just something to be in contact with uh, the insurance company. But if they're telling you something that you just don't agree with or doesn't quite make sense or add up, that's when you need to get your insurance agent involved because we do this 
every single day and we know how the yeah. system works and we can jump in to try to advise to make sure that we're bridging that gap so that everybody's on the same page. So if you as a homeowner feel like you're not getting paid out what you should get paid out, yep. sometimes we may need to have a little bit of representation, which would be the insurance agent. Absolutely. And, and you could come help us make the case that, yeah, my kitchen cabinets are definitely, they definitely need to be replaced or something yep. like that. Yep, okay. absolutely. Number one most common claim for homeowners. Oh, that you man. guys see all the time. Water. <laughs> Just water issues. Water. Broken pipes. Yep. Broken pipes will have that, you know, uh, dishwasher that has had a leak that they don't find out about until the floor starts to buckle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the water is the insurance company's nemesis, it seems yeah. like, because there's just so much of it. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's definitely a big one. What's, uh, what's one of the craziest things you guys have covered? Oh, man. We've, we, we've had some doozies. We, uh, we, we had a liability claim that I would have never thought got paid out. Uh, but it was a situation where our client had her eight year old and 10 year old son in their front yard, uh, just passing the football back and forth. And, uh, a gentleman came walking down the street. The, the parents don't know him. The eight year old and 10 year old boys don't know him. And he said, Hey, let me teach you guys how to throw a football. And so he, he picked up the football and was throwing it back and forth. And not the 10-year-old, but the 8-year-old, he claims, threw the football so hard it broke his wrist. I played football my whole life growing up. And so to think that an 8-year-old could throw it hard enough to break his wrist, it sounded pretty, pretty fishy. But he then, in turn, you know, for me, I would have just walked away in shame thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't believe an 8-year-old <laughs> broke my wrist. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here. But in this particular instance, he felt like it was important to go against and sue our client for the damages to have his wrist paid for to have surgery and repair. Oh my goodness. So that was a claim that I thought there's no way he's going to win it, but the courts ruled in his favor and said, yep, it happened on their property. Even though he was not invited, it could have been technically trespassing. Yeah. We were still on the hook to pay for his surgery. Gosh. So wow. it, it was insane. That's yeah. amazing. Well, this has been a really fruitful conversation. I was joking that this might be a little boring, but I've been entertained the whole time. Yeah. And I've learned a lot. Yeah. And uh, this is probably something we could bring you back for, like, a, people would submit questions that they've always yeah. wanted to ask yeah. anonymously to, to an insurance <laughs> But I think broker. a lot of people don't understand their homeowner insurance policy no. because, like you mentioned, yeah. um, they'll go 15, 20 years of homeownership and never make a claim. I, yeah. I don't know that I've ever personally made, made a, a claim on any of my homes. Um, I've had things happen, but I've just taken care of them because of the deductible situation that we talked about. Listen, um, I think there's great value in having, um, you know, working with a professional, whether that's a realtor or a loan officer or insurance agent. Nowadays, people are trying to do this kind of stuff online, do it themselves. Um, I've really appreciated being able to call you with questions and issues and things like that and Justin and I are heavily insured we wouldn't think of not having insurance because of all the assets that we have but can you just speak to our audience a little bit more about how important it is to work with whether it's you or somebody else a really qualified experienced agent that's been in the business for a while and can really help them let me just also say I believe insurance is kind of like real estate people get in and they sell policies to their family and then they're out in a year because it's a very difficult business to break into and be successful so yeah typically what we see the industry statistics on agents kind of going off of your comment is